0: Hi, I'm Scott Lacey, and this is Talking Documentary. So what does a filmmaker do when a good friend announces he's going to walk every street in New York City? Well, you grab a camera and you follow along. At least that's what Jeremy Workman did. And really, you can't fault him. Workman's nomadic friend, Matt Green, is a filmmaker's dream. In a world of careers, money, relationships, and generally just getting ahead, Green chases only one thing, whatever makes him feel alive. Green once walked across the entire United States because, well, it was there, and he had legs, and why not? A few years later, Green redirected his passion for walking on New York City, and I mean the entire city. Green set out to walk every street, every avenue, every park walkway, every cemetery, and all five boroughs. When he wasn't walking or blogging about walking, Green cat-sat and couch-surfed to make his lifestyle work. Workman, meanwhile, is a veteran filmmaker with a soft spot for eccentrics, and he knew a good story when he saw it. He followed Green around New York City for several years, and his efforts culminated in the 2018 film The World Before Your Feet. It's a winning examination of personal obsession, the secrets of a city, and the joy of simple things. Workman joins me today from New York City. So welcome, Jeremy. Thanks for joining me today. Cool. Thanks for having me. So I'm curious, uh, what, what drew you to Matt's quest? Uh, did you see that as a film early in the game?
1: Not really. So Matt and I were friends prior to making the movie, and I think that was a big part of how this movie got made. Um, you know, Matt, as, as you know, hopefully your listeners will see if they watch the movie, which, of course, they could find on Prime. It. You know, Matt's not somebody who's looking for publicity. He's not look, somebody who's like seeking to have a movie made on him. So, you know, this happened very organically in which Matt was a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine. Um, and I had just said to him casually, hey, what do you say about me coming along a couple of times with my camera and we'll see what we get? Um, I think if I had approached him with this big grand idea of let's make a documentary and it's going to do this and it'll be about this, he would have absolutely said no. But by sort of going in kind of baby steps and giving him a lot of comfort and him having a lot of trust in me as his close friend, it, it, it allowed him to ease into the process and allowed us to look at it, um, a little bit more where it was an exploration as opposed to a big plan. And I think that made a huge difference in making the movie and ultimately in how the movie turned out as well. Making documentaries is really hard. You know, it, it, it's really hard for a lot of reasons, you know, technically and, and, um, you know, legally and, and logistically, but it's also really hard just in terms of, you know, working with your subjects, you know, so you have to, really create a sense of comfort. You know, it's not just, you know, here's a script that you read and you're gonna read lines like a narrative film. It really is this very personal experience for between a subject and and a and an object, you know, a filmmaker and a subject. So you have to really kind of, you know, tiptoe through that in in a in a way that everybody feels very comfortable. And there's a lot of moving parts. so this was an, an unusual situation in that Matt and I were close friends, which obviously made a huge difference.
0: Let's talk about Matt a little bit. There's a scene in the film that I love where a large man comes out and kind of in a threatening manner says, hey, what are you doing? Why, why are you taking pictures of my house? And I'm like thinking, oh, boy, this is not going to go well. And within 10 seconds, he's completely won this guy over. And the guy's like inviting him into the living room. So tell me about Matt the kind of character he is and maybe what allowed him to do this all throughout the city of New York.
1: Yeah. Matt is a really unique person. You know, that was something that I had known for years going into it that, you know, I joke that Matt is like, you know, a human greeting card. He's, he's really kind of impossible to rile up. He's incredibly friendly. He gets along with anyone and everyone gets along with him he sees people really in in this very personal and human way um, beyond any label or association. He just sees you, you know, as a person. And it was so eye-opening to me just walking with him and seeing how he related to people in New York City. I think a lot of this comes from his experience of walking across the country. Which, you know, is something that is featured in the film and and um, is, is a little bit of his backstory that, you know, of course, before he walks every street of New York, he walked across the country. That was something that he really learned a lot about, you know, how how great people are and how diverse people are and how interesting people are. And he really learned to sort of communicate with them. So there was, there's this incredible moment early on the film where Matt, you know, is walking all these cities and people are constantly coming up to him and asking him what what the heck he's doing and why he's doing it. And there's this kind of, you know, moment that seems like it's gonna be a confrontation. And it's instantly diffused by Matt, you know, just being like, Yeah, I'm walking every street of New York. Uh and it's it's hard to it's hard to when you hear that, it's so weird. First of all, that it often helps kind of reduce any question of what he's doing. It's so weird that you just kind of stop in your tracks for a second when you hear it. But yeah, it was an incredible moment. And it's featured in the film, that one little moment. And I remember when I was filming it being like, oh, my God, this is, you know, this is documentary gold. This is one of those things that, you know, is going to go in the movie when you film it. And um, those kind of those kind of moments happen quite a bit you know, where Matt would be walking, somebody would say, what are you doing? Get off my property. And like instantly within 20 seconds, they would become close pals. And within a couple minutes, they'd be practically inviting Matt into their homes. Um, So it was it was very typical of of how the experience was walking with Matt.
0: Yeah. And I love the savvy filmmaker move where when the guy says, don't film me and you like back up like 20 feet and then you reframe it (laughs) And catch the whole scene from a distance, which was beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah. We always, Matt and I would always joke about that, that like you could, if you look at that scene closely, that you can, you notice that the cameraman, which of course is me, is kind of tiptoeing away and leaving Matt there, but still filming it. So yeah, it's funny you got that.
0: So in, in reviewing your, your catalog, I've noticed that you have a fondness for eccentrics. Tell me a little bit about what you look for uh, in a subject as a documentary filmmaker.
1: I think I think I'm, I'm interested in people with with passion who have decided that what's important to them is or what makes them happy and what it interests them in life are maybe not the things that we've all been told are the things that should interest you in life. Um, people that have realized that for them, what's important to them are their own interests and obsessions and passions and are going to pursue that above all reasons you know the thing that's so interesting about Matt green in the world before your feet is that he has no monetary interest no financial interest in this pursuit it is only a pursuit for himself because he's interested and he's not trying to write a book he's not trying to sell a, a screenplay he's not trying to do be a tour guide he's only doing this project because of of that's why he's doing it he's sort of taken over with passion of why he do does it so that is something that i'm really interested in i see it those kind of tendencies in my own work you know where i get really interested in in my own kind of filmmaking you know above doing anything else that's you know for money or financial gain and those are the stories that really interest me. So yeah, uh prior to the the movie uh, the world before your feet, I made another really interesting documentary that your your listeners could find called Magical Universe. That is about an an elderly outsider artist. It's a very unusual movie, uh very unusual. It's a first person movie, so I'm in it and it's the story about me my friendship with this elderly man in Maine. Who had spent decades and decades making artwork in in the attic of his home, mostly with Barbie dolls, and he was making Barbie doll dioramas and, and Barbie doll photographs. He's an he was an um an, he's an outsider artist, but he's also an outsider photographer, meaning that he's he learned all this on his own. So I made this very kind of rich and interesting documentary about him as well that's also about a lot of the themes that pop up even with Matt green even you know even though they're so different um and then my subsequent film which is going to be coming out this year is also about it is now about a young woman who is the world's most acclaimed domino toppler meaning you know dominoes that are designed in in uh artistic ways And she also is somebody who is just so obsessed with this and consumed by this. So it's certainly something that I'm interested in. I'm not, you know, as a documentary filmmaker, I'm not necessarily interested in social issue films. I'm not necessarily interested in political films, though, of course, we're all political and I have political interests. But what I'm interested in as a filmmaker are looking at these people that sort of you know, zig when the rest of the
0: world zags. So in Matt's story, you literally and figuratively have a lot of surface area to cover, about 300 square miles, 8,000 plus miles of roads within New York City. As a filmmaker, how did you break down just the challenge of telling the story?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, just think about it. I mean, and your listeners can think about this. You know, Matt is walking every street in New York City. Well, what does that mean? It means that he's walking every street, every path, every park every cemetery every coastline every byline you know every path whatever it is he's walking and it all adds up to about uh we think about nine thousand miles um and i filmed mount for three years and i filmed him on and off for three years i wasn't with him every day i would sort of you know, kind of jump around with him. And what was interesting is I took my cue to kind of answer your question is like, how do you organize this? How do you approach this as a filmmaker? Well, I I took my cue from the subject. And Matt doesn't do it in a systematic way. It's not like he says, hey, I'm going to go and do all of this neighborhood now, or I'm going to go and do all of these streets in this corner now. What he has to do, because... Uh, I don't know if you mentioned in, in your intro, but Matt lives off $15 a day. And sometimes it's even less than that. It might be, might be closer to $8 or $10 a day. And he doesn't have any money and he doesn't pay rent. Um, a lot of people ask like, how the heck does this guy survive? Well, one of the ways he survives is he doesn't, he's a total nomad. He doesn't have an apartment. He doesn't pay rent. He just lives cow. He's couch surfs, which is, you know, featured quite, quite a bit in the film. But what that does, and this, you know, I will kind of circle back to your question. What that does is it forces him to move all around the city at all times. You know, like he'll stay with these people in the Bronx for this, you know, on Thursday. And then on Friday, he's got to move to these people in Brooklyn. And then on, you know, he'll stay there for three days. And then he finds another person to stay at their house on in Manhattan on Tuesday. So he's leapfrogging all over the city, and that is how he approaches his project. So I said, great, that's how we're going to do it in the movie, where at any moment, you could be anywhere, and you could be in any borough, in any spot, and we're going to sort of look at the city in this different way. We're going to look at the city as if it's this, you know, it's not just, you know, the famous street." New York has incredibly famous streets, as we all know, you know, Times Square, Broadway, Fifth Avenue, many of which are in Manhattan. But we're not going to look at it holistically. We're not going to look at it like that. We're going to actually look at it more holistically. Like it's just any street. No street is more important than the next. You could be in Queens. You could be in Staten Island. You could be in Manhattan. You could be on Times Square. It's all the same than that. And that was kind of the approach of the movie as well, that we were just going to be Anywhere at all times. So once I cued into that, and once I sort of said, okay, that's what this is going to be a lot, that style, it became great because it was very freeing. I didn't have to worry about, you know, checklists. I didn't have to worry about getting certain streets. I could just sort of be more freeform. Um, so yeah, sort of a long answer to your question, but um, it had a lot to do with math's approach as as much as it was how it worked for the movie as well as
0: a whole. So over the course of the the filming, how many times did you actually accompany Matt? And how did you choose which days to go?
1: Well, I sat about 600 hours. So, you know, obviously that's an enormous amount. Um, and what the way it would work was, you know, Matt would call me up or email me or whatever the night before and say, hey, I'm going to go do... You know, this area in Brooklyn tomorrow, if you want to meet me, I'll be here at 7 a.m. And then I would just check my schedule and I would just race to go meet him. And I would usually get so exhausted because there was no crew on this film. It was just me with a camera. So I am following him and filming him with a camera. And there's it's just me and him. So it was really difficult just physically. So I would usually kind of, you know, get exhausted by 1 p.m., 2 p.m. So I would go from like 7 to 2 p.m., just film, 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 whatever happened, happened, no agenda. And Matt would then keep going for the rest of the day. So when I filmed, it was probably, you know, it would be like a couple times a week. And then there were some times where it was a lot of days in a week. And then there would be times when, you know... Uh, maybe I didn't go for a couple weeks, and then I would pick it up again. So it it what, it also helped create this kind of random mosaic of the city, which I thought really works for the movie because I didn't just you know drop in and say okay, we're going to shoot just for these three months. We instead did it more long what they would call longitudinal, you know, for a documentary where I'm like coming in at at various moments, random times. I don't know. I must have filmed. A hundred days, maybe more. Um, I sort of lost track. In fact, my system, I'm also, I'm also an editor and uh, I edited the film. My editing system, I, we couldn't, I couldn't even keep track. I couldn't even tabulate how many hours I had shot him. Um There was no way to accurately, you know, in any kind of edit system, tabulate like how many hours of dailies there were. There was so many.
0: So as an editor, how do you even... Like when you're done, you've got five to six hundred hours of footage. How do you even know where to dive in? I, I assume you must take some notes for the editing process where where you just know where to start to find like the highlights. Tell me about that process.
1: It was the most difficult part of this movie because, you know, how do you how do you tell a story? You know, how do you then take all this footage so it's not just some kind of home movie? you know, follow along. The movie really does have an arc and it has a story arc. And that was the biggest challenge is how do you take all this disparate random footage um, and turn it into a movie? And that became the big challenge. What I was trying to do, again, taking my cue from Matt, there was a lot that he was helping me understand about his approach to the city and he has this really interesting approach it was kind of like what i mentioned a, a minute ago you know about that no street is more important than an, an another and that this project for him really is a journey of discovery but not just discovery of the cool stuff in new york city but discovery of of the of our world and the people in it and the city As a kind of microcosm, a very big microcosm, but a microcosm of bigger issues about discovering what's awesome right in front of you. And Matt also is somebody who doesn't isn't trying to show, oh, look at the Empire State Building or look at Carnegie Hall. He's not a tour guide. He is, you know, and everybody should really just if you just want to be, you know, Check something out. Go check out Matt's blog. Of course, you know, it's featured prominently in the documentary, but Matt, Matt's only thing that he is doing is he's kind of keeping his own personal blog of his walk. But it's so, um, you know, it's so much about these small minutiae of the city. You know, he goes into incredible detail about manhole covers or street signs or fire hydrants or the details of a building or a sidewalk. And I that's what I found interesting. And I said, "Okay, well, how does that translate into a movie? That sounds boring. You know, I'm also trying to make sure that the movie's not boring. Uh, And I'm thinking about audience and I'm thinking about how does an audience enjoy this movie and really get something out of it. And it became this sort of journey for me about how Matt is maybe. you know starting in in this way where we as a viewer are kind of like what is this you know this sounds weird this sounds you know this guy sounds kind of crazy but by the end of the movie it's kind of moved into this deeper deeper place where it's now about something really powerful and it's about you know discovering right the incredibleness that's right in front of your eyes and once i once i kind of keyed on that i said okay well that's the that's the arc of the movie." And then everything kind of fit in its place from there, and that helped inform the editing. but yeah, I mean, the editing was just so difficult because you're dealing with so much material and trying to muscle it into a story, and sometimes it sometimes that's easy, and sometimes that's really really difficult
0: so let's go a little deeper on the mechanics of following Matt around the city w- What kind of gear do you have on you and I ask in the context of the physicality of what you had to do for five, six, seven hours a day.
1: It's simple, but it's interesting. You know, I'm doing this movie on my friend, right? And he's this really incredible guy who walks around the city, does as many as 10, 15 miles a day. He, that's all he does. And he, as he's walking, he's meeting people and he's talking to people and he's observing things. Within that framework, as I mentioned before, you know, Matt, didn't want a big documentary crew with him. And the reason he sort of agreed for me to do the film was because I said to him, look, I'm just your friend and I'll come along with a camera and you don't have to worry about like us, you know, me messing things up. I'll just kind of sit in the background. You know, of course, a camera creates, you know, causes commotion, but it wasn't like a big crew. You know, so I said to him, look, there will not be a crew. I'm not coming with a sound guy. I'm not coming with an assistant cameraman. I will shoot it myself. We will mic you. So I brought in lavalier mics, really good ones. Um, and I mic'd him and it all went through a single camera system that I was holding and I was shooting handheld. Um, and I ended up shooting the whole movie it, with a Canon. So that movie mostly a Canon C two hundred and sometimes a C one hundred. So those are are not DSLR cameras. Those are a little bigger, a little stronger. But let me just back up a second. Which is, you know, here's a guy walking around, and and I'm sure you know a lot of listeners are filmmakers. They're like, oh, well, you know, maybe we could shoot this, you know, with some kind of gimbal, or we should shoot it with a DSLR. Or maybe a GoPro is a great idea, um, or maybe. You know, we could you know, you could step up and, and use like a movie or, you know, which is one of those kind of very kind of robust, you know, stabilization gimbal systems. And or, you know, there's a an, an Osmo, which are those little small devices that, you know, are almost like iPhones that are on a gimbal. So there's a number of options. But what was happening was I was kind of out there with Matt and i was I was experimenting as we when we started, I was experimenting with other kinds of gear, and all the stuff that had built in stabilization it was was causing slowdowns You have to remember that I am walking six seven miles a day holding cameras, and Matt is not stopping for me, and I know it sounds like, oh, he's just walking around the city this how hard could this be but it was really hard because. He's not stopping for me. He's just moving and moving and moving and getting through his mileage and doing what he does. And didn't he didn't want to sit and stop while I had to readjust everything on the fly. So ultimately, I kept on coming back to all right, well, the best thing that, that that's working the best is if I go handheld. And I rigged a kind of a handheld, almost like a a modified steady cam using a monopod. So I took a monopod and I propped up the you know the canon c two hundred on it i also took i also made the the canon a lot lighter than it would normally be because again I'm holding it for miles at a time and I just walked with him and by the end of doing this project, I became so good at handheld that now i, I you'd have to think that my handheld could rival a top Hollywood cameraman who's, you know, a top operator in the studio system, because I put in so many hours shooting handheld, walking through the streets of New York. Um, and ultimately, that became how I shot it. It was just me holding the camera, walking behind him.
0: The footage was actually pretty fluid. And I was like, no way he walked around New York with a stabilizer. That would have been really conspicuous. It would have been heavy. Um, but yeah, the, the footage is remarkably fluid. It's
1: funny because it gets better and better as the movie goes because we were – I was, you know, kind of – as any movie, I'm kind of going a little bit chrono- chronologically as I shot it. And I just got so much better because, you know, uh, again, Matt is – and everyone who will see the movie, they'll they'll realize, you know, Matt's not playing for the camera. Matt is doing his own thing, and I'm just kind of fly on the wall behind him. Um, and I just had to go wherever he went. So everything became okay, anything could be usable. That was another thing. When you're shooting documentary, it's a lot of verite. And you have to remember that like anything could be usable. So there's no moment where you have where you say to yourself, okay, well, I better shoot this part good and I can take a break in that part because this is gonna be better. You know, when you're doing like a verite documentary, you don't know. So everything has to be pretty good. And that was um kind of how, how I did it.
0: You're traveling around New York City for five hundred hours. You only need to go about fifteen minutes in New York City for something to happen. What were some of the kind of crazy, uncomfortable, weird things that happened that didn't make it into the film?
1: You know, there wasn't a lot of kind of danger threatening things, you know, and I think that is a, a real takeaway when you watch the film that you have this idea that, okay, this guy is walking every street of New York City. He's going to go into, you know, quote unquote bad neighborhoods. What's going to happen? And what happens is that they all love him and everybody, you know, and he, 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 they, everybody gets, along, everybody gets along great and everybody's so interested in what he's doing and, and the people are so interesting and the neighborhoods are so interesting. And it becomes this, um, this real kind of, optimistic and positive look at how cities are. It, you know, that they're not these places that some people have views of, of city as as, you know, dangerous or that certain areas are dangerous. We went into all kinds of what are quote unquote bad neighborhoods. Never did anything happen. It was almost the opposite. You know, those neighborhoods were you know incredibly you know glorious and colorful and and vibrant and the people were amazing so I never felt like there was anything dangerous and it was very easy to to um it's very easy to show that in the film because that's kind of what what the reality was um so but that said there was a number of like great things that just didn't make the film because of you know you're trying to make the best movie and you have to cut things out and Everybody sort of knows that. And I, I'd say it was a lot of the stuff that's in the film now, right? But that maybe is just not the best example of of what's in the movie. So, for, exa- for example, like Matt does, might do like an incredible thing about the plants of New York. You know, well, I have dozens of footage, you know, dozens of like, you know, you know, kind of scenes where Matt is locating plants in the city. Well, only a few of those are going to be in the movie, you know, or uh, Matt might point out some historical detail of a building. Well, I have, you know, tons of different examples of that. So I would always try to choose the one that was kind of most, most worthwhile for the movie. So it was probably more like that. Matt is also incredibly knowledgeable about everything. He goes around, he does his walk, but he also does tons and tons of research. So he's also researching what he sees. And as a result of that, it's kind of created this weird thing where he knows so much about New York history and New York architecture, but he's never read a book about New York City. And yet he knows more about New York City than anyone I've ever met. And um Yeah, it's just really remarkable when you're with him and he'll just point out details of a city. It's like, you know, it's almost like one of those kind of like Google, you know, kind of augmented realities where he just kind of sees the city and he could instantly tell you details about things.
0: So you mentioned that you tiptoed into the film kind of to win Matt's trust that it would work well. When did you decide? Because there's a significant financial investment in making a film of this type. When did you feel like all right, this is a film and I can start to pour kerosene on the fire so to speak? We took it
1: slow. And I also did something that is unusual for documentary filmmakers, which is I very much involved my subject in in the process of that. So, I wasn't sure if there was going to be a movie. Matt wasn't sure if there was going to be a movie. So what did I do? I shot for about a month maybe six weeks. And then I cut some scenes. And as we mentioned before, I'm an editor, so I felt fine doing that. And I cut some scenes. And one of the first scenes I cut was a variation of a a scene that's still in the movie. We referenced it a a minute ago. It was the scene where Matt notices all the uh, flowers of New York and all the um, plant life in New York. And there's a scene that's still in the movie where a young woman in Queens, an African-American woman Meets Matt and he points out a fig tree and he ha- pulls a fig off a tree and the tree is, in, you know, is uh, growing out of somebody's trash can. But it's this full, you know, vibrant fig tree and Matt hands her the fig and she eats a fig for the first time in her life and didn't even know what a fig was. So I had shot that in the first two weeks and I cut a scene and I said, okay, here's a scene and I showed it to Matt. And this is getting back to this idea of like, this was a little bit of an unconventional approach. I, you know, you wouldn't normally do this where you're sh- inviting your subject to check it out. But I really wanted Matt to see what the movie would look like and how it would feel and that it wasn't. And my approach, how I was trying to align my approach as a filmmaker with his approach as as in his his project. And he saw that and he loved it and he was like, okay, I feel really comfortable about this. And at that point we felt like, okay, let's keep going and see where it goes. Now I had a number of people that wanted to, to be involved in another film with me after they saw my previous film, the one I had, the weird one I had mentioned, Magical Universe, a number of, of uh, producers and like investors were interested in doing a project with me. And then I was like, hey, I'm doing this, you know, this kind of odd, unusual project about this guy walking every street. Here's a scene. And um, that's kind of how it all kind of came about. And I think it, it is a good lesson for a lot of documentary filmmakers, because, you know, sometimes the best way to kind of get your movie off the ground, to get your movie greenlit, to get your movie financed, to find money from grants or even to find money from, you know, Uncle John or Uncle Jim, you know, is just to kind of sit down and, you know, cut some stuff and kind of create something with it. And that is a real help. And it helped on this project quite a bit.
0: That fig scene really sticks out because I would probably be hard pressed to give $5 away on the street. Matt convinced a total stranger to eat a fig out of a trash can. And <laughs> she, she was not prepared to eat that fig. He really it's just the magic of Matt Green
1: yeah it, it very much encapsulates Matt, and very much encapsulates the movie too you're like okay wait a second so this is a movie where a guy's walking around new york city and he finds figs and he hands it to strangers and then there's some kind of human connection and like yep that's the movie in some ways that really did was it was a great scene um for the movie but you know there's a lot of those i remember when we were kind of uh pulling scenes for when the movie was theatrically re- released, and, you know, we had to do a lot of, like, you know, clip polls for a distributor, and I was like, wow, there's so many moments where, like, Matt has this kind of cool human connection with some stranger, Um and it, it also kind of defies this idea that's really perpetuated in the world where, you know, people are dangerous and that no people aren't your friends, and strangers are different, and we are, you know, we, we have different beliefs. And in the end, when you watch this movie, you're like, wow, people are really kind of similar. They're all sort of the same.
0: I want to touch on another character that I really enjoyed, a Garnett Catigan, this very elegant African-American academic who likes to walk like mad and has to walk with a book and walk with a very specific outfit so that he doesn't attract unwelcome attention. That that really was heartbreaking. Tell me more about Garnett.
1: Sure. Yeah, his name's Garnett Cadigan. You got it right. He, uh, he's this really interesting guy. Matt is in this kind of interesting orbit where there's a lot of people pursuing these kinds of long-term walking projects and that it's really meaningful for them. And they're doing it for all kinds of reasons. And Garnett is one of them. But, you know, a lot of people look at Matt matt green and they say well of course he's just this white guy of course he could do this you know and we really wanted to kind of show that maybe if you didn't look like matt you couldn't be able to do this project but we were kind of trying to figure out how to show this and then matt mentioned to me hey there's this this friend of mine garnett and you know you got to talk to him and and he's really interesting he also walks you know Tons and tons of of streets of New York as this way to kind of see the world and see it in this interesting way. He's a he's a writer. So he's writing, you know, kind of academic books about this. And he, as you said, he has to wear a costume. So all this was kind of as we were filming, so much was happening with, you know, police are interacting with African Americans, and there was all this sort of things going on. So I thought this was so important to sort of see this side that here's a guy who's just walk in the streets. And he, since, because he's black, he has to, he has to act and, and look a certain way so that people don't see him as a threat. It, it's interesting though, because when the movie came out, we were surprised to discover that there was many women that stepped forth and said, oh, I'm doing this in San Francisco. I'm doing this in Toronto. I'm doing this in in europe and so when we were making it we were like oh a woman can't do this you know that it would be too dangerous for her but then we discovered when the film came out that there were actually a lot of women that also do this
0: so as you got deeper into the project you brought in the actor jesse eisenberg and as i understand it he was kind of a second set of eyes tell me how he got involved with the film and what his role was
1: jesse yeah jesse's um was was Great. He became a producer on the film. It was the first film that he ever, you know, put his name on as a producer. I had met Jesse on, he had done a film um, called The End of the Tour, which was um, a great film that uh, James Ponsold directed with him and Jason Siegel. And I, you know, in my sort of day job, I work a lot in movie marketing and I create trailers and I create featurettes and I was on the set of the end of the tour, shooting a lot of the featurettes, the behind the scenes. Um, and I got to know Jesse. And I had met, I, I was telling him about this film that I was making um, about this guy walking every street. And Jesse being born in New York City was really interested. And he's also somebody also who kind of sees the world in, in a different way in a really kind of interesting, unique way and um, really smart guy. And he was very interested in the film and then I sort of shared cuts with him and he, you know, said, yeah, I, I love it. I, it's, you know, I love this movie. I love Matt. He then subsequently met Matt. He came walking with us and he just really wanted to be involved. And, um, you know, when you're making a documentary, as well, you know, and as em- anyone who's listening probably knows, it's hard to get people to see documentaries. So, having a name like Jesse attached you know made such a difference in terms of getting the film out and getting a higher profile with the film so you know he would watch cuts and he would have thoughts about you know everything from the title to you know keeping scenes or cutting scenes out and uh just became an incredible advocate for it to the point where even after the movie had kind of been released and done really well and and then even after Jesse was still sort of pounding the pavement with the movie and, you know, showing it and seeing if it could be expanded and
0: all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine this. If if Matt couldn't attract attention and you and Matt couldn't attract attention, certainly you, Matt and Jesse Eisenberg walking around the city must have attracted a little bit of attention.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There was definitely times when it was the three of us walking around and, you know, Matt would be just doing his thing, pointing out street signs and, you know, Interesting birds, and like people would be like, "Oh my god, it's the guy that's in," you know, whatever. And they would be, you know, coming and huddling around us. So yeah, it's it's a funny experience just walking around New York like that.
0: It's a little unclear if Matt actually finished the project. At the end, we get to the eight thousand mile mark, and the implication is that there is still more left to do. Where's where he at in the project?
1: You're exactly right. There's still more left to do. He's um, I'd say he's probably 95% done right now. Um, But, you know, this is one of those things where and and this is also was something interesting for me as a filmmaker that I realized as I was making it. I was like, okay, I don't think Matt's going to ever finish. And, you know, will he, quote unquote, finish? Probably He's got, you know, he's 90 something percent done with the city. But it it started just dawning on me that this is something that is about something bigger. And that in some ways, it's not just, oh, I climbed Mount Everest. Now I'm going to go back to my day job. You know, it really was a life choice for Matt. And once I realized that. It became less to me about, okay, this is a movie about, is he going to finish? Is he going to finish? And, uh, you know, in that way, it's sort of different from a lot of documentaries that people are used to seeing. Like, what's a good example? Uh, Free Solo is a great example. You know, where you're watching this movie, you're like, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? Yes, he does it. Yeah. You know, this wasn't going to be that movie because he was never going to finish. And to this day, he still hasn't finished. And I think he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's just doing his thing and he's going to do it as long as it takes him. And um, but I'd say probably he's somewhere in the 90th percentile of being done. But he also does so much more research. So I don't I don't know when he'll ever finish.
0: By the end of the film, did you have a better sense of what makes Matt tick?
1: I think, yeah, I think so. You know, I think it's it is still a little vague. Which I think you know, Matt still is a little bit of an of an enigma for some people, and I think I appreciate that you know as a viewer, and I appreciate that you know telling those stories that it's not always clear cut. Oh, this person is doing this because of you know this reason. You know things are a little bit more, you know it's they're nuanced and there there's gray area and you're not really sure why and. I think that a viewer will have their own thoughts, which is kind of what, what I hope. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I have my theories as the way that anyone who watches the movie might have theories, you know, what, what drives Matt. And, um, yet I, I, the movie doesn't necessarily give all the answers as well, which is, I think the right approach, especially with Matt.
0: So tell us about your next project, Lily topples the world. Given your character studies of the past, this seems like it's going to be a really fun one.
1: It is so. Lily topples the world, which is gonna. I think we can now say officially is going to be premiering at South by Southwest in in twenty twenty one and in, in their virtual. You know, it's it'll be a uh, in their virtual festival, but it's still you know a world premiere there. Um, I have been making that film for three years. And that is about this young woman, Lily Hevish, who is 20 years old and has sort of carved out this kind of meteoric rise of being this kind of, I don't know, you know, this icon, this artist, this, you know, YouTuber. She's on YouTube for, for doing domino toppling. And she's this kind of unlikely, kind of like Matt, you know, she's this kind of unlikely character in a way too, where she is doing this and has become, as a result of this, become this, you know, this, this celebrity, this pop, this role model. Um, she's 21. She's an adopted, um, she was adopted from China to white parents in New Hampshire when she was one year old, one years old. And, um, she, then got into domino toppling where she became sort of the greatest that's ever done it and it's kind of the movie profiles her and follows her you know it's probably more a coming of age movie than other things that i have done you know it's a profile of an artist but it's also about this young girl and we we see her in college and from there she is sort of debating whether she stays in college or she needs to drop out because she has this kind of, you know, career that's growing exponentially as the world's greatest domino toppler. Um, So, yeah, it's 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 a really neat movie. I mean, it's she's great and she's so just awesome and interesting and passionate about what she does but it's also this kind of cool portrait of an artist. But like I said, fused with this kind of coming of age story. So just a really neat project. And, and I, I think it came out great. And I'm excited to start sharing it this year. It's going to uh, hopefully start getting out,
0: you know, in the next few months. Jeremy, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, fascinating story. Fascinating movie. Um, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk about it.
1: Oh, my, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks to your listeners for listening. And, uh, yeah, check these movies out there. You know, it's always, you know, always kind of cool for any filmmaker or, or people that are interested in, in documentaries just to see different things and, and see what else is out there. And, uh, I hope, I hope other people can, can discover it and be inspired as well.
0: Thanks to Jeremy Workman. His film, The World Before Your Feet, can be seen on Amazon Prime Video. Join me next week when I talk to Tommy Avaloni, the filmmaker who traveled to two continents to research amazing but true stories about the actor Bill Murray. See you then.